Podcast. The Gospel according to Matthew was written by a former tax collector who was transformed by the power of Christ. Instead of keeping records for Rome, now he would keep records for God, carefully recording all that Jesus said and did. Matthew references more than 60 Old Testament prophecies, proving Jesus is indeed the promised Messiah. Jesus really is who he claimed to be, our Savior and soon returning King. Now let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Matthew. Back in 19... 19- 84, Ronald Reagan was president. It's very popular, especially among believers in that he was the quintessential conservative. But even many of his political opponents and diehard Democrats seemed to like him. Uh, He was warm and personable. He was funny. He had a quick wit. He was very uh, diplomatic and had a way of disarming people and a gifted speaker and a strong and decisive leader. And uh, he and his wife, Nancy, came out of Hollywood. So they had a little bit of that glam thing about them. They sort of had a regalness about them. And wherever he went, whatever nation he traveled to, he was well-respected and well-received, but not always the case here at home. One example stands out. It's back in 1984 when the Boston Celtics won uh, the NBA title. President Reagan uh, graciously extended uh, the team an invite to the White House. Uh, They would roll out the red carpet. They would prepare a fancy uh, celebratory banquet. The White House chefs would get busy. Uh, The team would be given a private tour and uh, get privileged one-on-one time with the commander-in-chief. And it turns out not all the players were feeling the love. Uh, One of them, forward Larry Bird, MVP, he made headlines with his infamous response to this kind invitation from the White House. For whatever reason, he didn't care for the president, and so he snubbed the invitation in a most public way. Uh, When he was asked by a reporter about his rather provocative behavior, he responded, if the president wants to see me, he knows where he can find me. (laughs) Rude. (laughs) Even more so, more audacious, considering the honor of the presidential seal. The Lord Jesus is going to tell a story that we look at today with a similar theme here in Matthew 22, only on a much greater scale since spiritual truths have eternal ramifications. He's going to direct a teaching story. That's what a parable is. It's an analogy to help us understand spiritual truths from everyday life illustrations. And he's going to tell a story uh, to his opponents. It is Passion Week. Uh, The temple courts are filled with worshipers, and everybody's listening as the Pharisees and the Sadducees uh, go at it with the Lord of life. They despise him, 
Um, they've always been dogging his heels for three and a half years. And so Jesus is going to tell them a story to show them, really, that they're invited, even though they're rebels, at a, to the place of honor to be seated in heavenly places with the king there. They're invited, and how awful and rude to turn down an invitation like that. So he's going to tell a beautiful story about a royal wedding, the king and his son, and he's hoping in love that these men will listen and find their part in the story and make some changes so that they don't forfeit and miss the greatest event the world will ever know, the great celebration that inaugurates eternal life. Heaven gets kicked off with a party. When he appears, there's going to be a great celebration and the whole world's invited, but a few, by comparison, actually are chosen, as the parable says. Let's take a look at it. We'll read it all through its entirety. Jesus spoke to them again in parables. He's already spoken. It's Monday. He's spoken twice. He's used two uh, parables already. This is the third and final story. Jesus spoke once again in a parable saying, the kingdom of heaven is like this. This, There's this king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. Go to the streets, the corners, and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, both good and bad. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. The king's love and goodness prevailed. I think it goes on a little bit. No, for many are invited, but few are chosen. All right, that is our parable. And it is uh, packed with theological truths and and encouraging uh, ideas that are, are, are all about our Christian life. It really answers the question, really, how do I get to heaven? Is there a requirement? And unbelievably, there's a dress code. It's the only thing required. Uh, Who knew? But it's all cover to cover. We see that that's the case. So the parable really speaks about this beautiful king, his, his intent to honor his son for very good reason, and then invite whosoever will. 
and he provides royal garments for them because, you know, people back in the day, they didn't have fancy clothes. They couldn't afford that, and they were all dirty, and they, they needed to be covered in robes of righteousness. And so the king is going to supply them this beautiful robe that cost him a dear price, life of his son. So now we talk about this and uh, let everyone who has ears hear, as Jesus says. So verses 1 through 3, now as we get underway, the setting and context, note takers for the invitation. This is the invitation. So as I've mentioned, it's Passion Week and things are building really heating up between the Lord and his opponents who happen to be religious, but they're not in right relationship with God. There's a difference between being religious and having a relationship with God. And these who don't have a relationship have dogged him from day one. It's been three and a half years of this. They've been resisting. They've been mocking. They've been rejecting. And now Jesus is on the offensive. He has come onto their turf, their territory, and he's, he's ridden a donkey in fulfillment of Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9 that says the Messiah will ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. And so as the crowds get it, they are singing praises to the Messiah, and he is receiving it. And the first order of business is he goes into the temple and he kicks out all the corrupt merchandisers there who are the priests and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they are ripping people off in the name of the Lord and he gets a whip and he makes it out of cords and he overturns the, the, the tables and everything goes flying and he uses that whip to chase those bad guys out of the temple. And so this is the day that this story gets told. And the question is, and the thing that is bothering the, the Pharisees so much is where do you get the authority? Who gives you the right to do these things? And so Jesus is telling stories to express his authority and the gracious invitation of God behind the son's coming and the invitation to come and celebrate with him. So, as I told you, this is the third story of three. So it would be nice to know what he just said to them. So I will tell you, parable number one, he says this. Hey, guys, I've got this story. And everybody's listening. Thousands of people are listening. The acoustics are right in the temple courts. And uh, as they go at it, and he says, let me tell you a story, guys. Uh, there's this uh, dad. And he's got two teenage sons, and they own a business. They grow grapes. And he tells his first son, he says, son, I want you to go out and work today. And the son says, no, I don't want to. But during the day, he has a change of heart, and he actually shows up at the vineyard, and he does a good job. He works. And then to the second son, he says, I want you also to go work the fields. And he says, yes, daddy, dearest, uh, how I love to do whatever my father wants. And I will work hard for you today, father. But guess what? <laughs> he pretends like he's headed toward the fields, but he actually goes over to his friend's house where they party the whole afternoon away. Sure enough, he shows up at dinner time. What's for dinner, mom? And then 
everybody says, well, how did work go today? Oh, it was wonderful. We had such a great time. So which one of these boys did what the father wanted? And they say, they get swept up and they say, it's the first one who said no, but changed his mind, repented. That's what the word means. And he says, exactly, bingo. And guess what, guys? You're the ones who made the promises. Oh, Father, we will do whatever you want, but you don't do it. But guess what? The tax collectors and the prostitutes are the ones who said, no, God, we want to do our own sinful thing. But then they have a change of heart. And now they are serving God. And they're getting into heaven ahead of you religious guys. That's amazing. And so uh, they start to understand. And he says, listen, if you didn't get that story, I got another story for you. There's this landowner. He rents out his vineyard to some men to run his business for him. At harvest time, the owner simply wants his profits. So he sends his representatives to collect it. But the workers seize the representatives and they beat one, they kill one, and they stone another. And if you can believe it, the owner sends his son, the heir, to the property and the business. And uh, did he just, did Jesus say, and he sent his son? Surely they'll respect the heir. Well, guess what, gentlemen? They killed him too. And they tossed his mangled body out into a ditch right outside the gates of the vineyard. What do you think, guys, that the owner should do with those men? Well, they're caught up. They're caught up in Jesus is the Son of God, and he's really good at words. And so they're swept in, and they, in righteous indignation, they say, he is going to, to take those wretches to their wretched end. He's going to destroy those bad guys. And then he will rent the vineyard out to men who will manage his estate properly. And Jesus says, P.S., you're the wretches, I'm the owner, and if you keep resisting me, you, quote, will be crushed. Now, God's heart is this, Ezekiel 33, verse 11 As surely as I live, says the Lord, I take no delight in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn and come, and if we paraphrase it, that they turn and come and be a part of the wedding celebration of the royal wedding in honor of the Son of God. He's telling them these stories like a spiritual defibrillator, like boom, it looks like you're shocking the guy, it looks like you're hurting the guy, but actually, no, 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 we're not hurting him, we're trying to raise him to life by electrocuting him with the truth in this matter, spiritually speaking. And so he's trying in love to get through to them. He is not hating on them, he's loving on them, he's speaking the truth in love, hoping that some of them, maybe just one, would say, hey, you know what? I don't want to be one of those wretches. I would rather be at a wedding at the king's table than be crushed under his wrath. And so that leads us to the immediate preceding verses, which say they have an aha moment, and after parable number two, they realize he's talking about them because he's pretty direct, and they want to kill him. 
right then and there, right after second story. But they're afraid of a crowd who will protect Jesus and stone them instead. So Jesus sees their quandary and he says, I've got one more final story and here it is. There's this wedding and this invitation of a good and kind king and we know he's good and kind from the description that, was co- that will come. This good and wonderful king uh, and this, the, the subjects in his realm are, are blessed beyond compare with this beautiful, uh, wonderful sovereign who gives them what they need. And he, he wants to honor his son at a wedding, and they already, verse 3, they refuse to come. There's a gasp already, and the story hasn't even really gotten started. But who does that? Who, who would say no to a royal decree of a good king? Weddings. Weddings are something, even ordinary weddings, really. Weddings were occasions, uh, and still are, the most significant social event in a person's life. I mean, really, a wedding is a chance to take a break, brief as it is, from the ordinary, mundane drudgeries of life where everybody gets dressed up in fancy clothes, the, the nicest beautiful words are shared, the most warmest of emotions, the highest potential, everybody is on her, uh, usually a good behavior, and it's just a, a beautiful thing. The, the, the greatest joys, the highest hopes, the most eloquent words, and the surroundings are always beautiful. How much more... Uh, when it's at a palace and a prince is involved, where uh, money is no object. Wow. Now, I was thinking about this, our wedding, uh, back in, when the dinosaurs roamed the earth. Uh, Barb and I, we could afford cake and punch and nuts and mints. That's what was at our wedding. But I'll tell you what, it was lovely. It was very classy, of course, because Barb was behind everything. She made, by hand, every stitch of clothing that was on the platform, except my tux, right? She made all the, the bride, bridesmaids and the bridal parties gowns, all of them, including her own wedding gown. And the boys and the girls who were in the wedding, ring bearers and flower girls, they all, everything they wore, she made. And there were lights everywhere, but we were poor, but it was elegant, and classy, and lovely, and modest. That is not a word that Jesus is thinking of when he describes this occasion. He's thinking in terms of opulence, luxury, extravagance. And he tries to woo them. Even after the first snub, as we're going to see, he's going to say, come on, guys, this is no ordinary wedding that the king is just going to pull the stops and it's going to be uh, beautiful because this king that Jesus is talking about, he has um, his treasuries uh, they're bottomless there's no budgetary concerns whatsoever for God and uh, his honor for his son his love for his son, bottomless as well you put those two things together you're going to get a wow you're going to get a wow. And, and so most weddings is about the bride. 
But in this get-together, it's about the Son for good reason. Because the Son, as the Greek says, the Son, it doesn't make sense, so they put in his Son. But it's the Son, the only Son, his only Son. And, you know, the story, the background story is, of course, that the Son is being honored because he's just come home from the battlefield where the kingdom was at stake. Turns out, one of the royal attendants, his name is Lucifer, he became a traitor and incited a rebellion against the kingdom that cost a lot of people their lives. And the son has just come back, defeated him soundly, though he has scars on his hands and his feet and his side. So the father says, on this occasion, I wish to give you the name that is higher than every other name that at your name, son. Every knee will bow. Every tongue confess that you are sovereign. You are the king's one and only worthy son. And so the invitation goes out. And they come back and say, we don't care about your son. We don't care about you. And if your party was the last one on the planet, we wouldn't go. We want nothing to do with you and your son. So even though he's going to try to woo them by talking sense to them, but the backstory again for us who know the facts, that, that the father's house is being prepared 2,000 years and the palace, we happen to know, is a beautiful setting for a royal wedding. <clears throat> There's a crystal sea around it. And, and the king is serious. <laughs> this king is crazy. I mean, he wants to, in a good way, he wants to pave the streets with gold. And, and he, he wants to put, set the walls with precious gemstones. And the gardens, breathtaking, manicured, eye-popping colors, just the fragrances and the wow of the gardens. Oh, my goodness. And the table is set, a feast for a king. This is the kind of thing, the music, the musicians. Oh, my goodness. And most important to be keeping in the back of your mind, where would I ever get clothes for that kind of wedding? Oh, no worries. The king at his own cost, and it's a dear one, will provide you robes of righteousness to take the parable to its spiritual meaning. That all who trust in the Son and want to honor the Son, you receive for free. And all you have to do is in the foyer of the palace, slip it on. In fact, the attendants will slip it on for you. You don't have to worry about a thing. And to this, the shocking news right here, they refuse to come. That is just crazy stuff. And so the story is now uh, going to pick up a little bit, and uh, we're going to have to try to figure out why would you say no to such a beautiful invitation? We know the king is good, as I've, uh, as I've already said, <clears throat> but... Perhaps you want to tell King Herod, 
you know, I know it's your birthday, and I know you want me to come, but you know what? I think I've got to work on my taxes and get an early start because your birthday party, sir, always deteriorates into some kind of drunken uh, ordeal, and 911 always gets called or somebody can lose their head. I don't want to go. I, I'm busy, you know? Or maybe Jezebel and Ahab's wedding. She is the prototype of all bri bridezillas to come. Jezebel, yeah, no, thank you. Um, I'm going to be traveling on that day. Wink, wink, sorry. We get that. If you don't want to go to Judas' retirement party, all right, who wants to? Everybody says, you know, that guy, he's got beady little eyes. He says all the right words. He's always at the right place. But there's something really that just creeps me out about him, right? Well, we'd be like, yeah, you know, just make something up, you know? And that's what we do, sadly. You know, we do. We make excuses, and they've got excuses of their own. So, you know, who knows what's going on here. But this king is different. You don't want to make an excuse. He's kind. He's good. There's not a self-serving bone in his body. He, he, he's preparing to bless you, you know, honoring his son. Nobody tells him no. Why would you tell him no? Well, only, of course, if you hate the king and you care less about his son and you're violently opposed to the truth by which he reigns his kingdom over you. And all you want is a lawless society where you can do your own thing and not have the king and his representatives always waving their fingers at you saying, the king doesn't want you to live like that. Oh, no, no, no. That's why we hate the king and all his messengers because they're always telling us about the king's way of doing life. So they <laughs> risk their lives by kicking the king in the shins and poking the, uh, their finger in the eye of his son and spitting in the, in the son's face. They risk their lives. I love what Proverbs says. The king's fury is like a, a lion's roar. To rouse his anger is to risk your life. Those who resist the invitation of the king are willing to risk their own eternal soul. They love their sin more than they value their souls. That's exactly what they're doing here uh, and taking a chance. So let's go deeper, four through seven. So he sends some more. Now, what I want you to realize is he's just been snubbed. No thunderbolt. No what? How dare you? Oh, no, he's long fused this king. They just slapped him, and it's almost like he turns the other cheek and says, oh, I don't think you understand what you're about to miss. They already said, no, we don't want to come to your dumb party. And he says, oh, no, 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 no. Let me, let me tell you what's on the table and the food and everything you're going to forfeit. Oh, don't forfeit this. It's your favorite food. When do you ever get beef? They loved beef back in the day. They loved it, but they couldn't afford it. And it's the star of all the stories, the prodigal son. The father gives a feast, and what are they serving? What's for dinner? Beef, prime rib, however you like it, porterhouse, short ribs, barbecue, there's venison there. There's all kinds of things. And, and the finest of poultry, a free range, of course. <laughs> but he's trying to say, listen, okay, 
Maybe you're not a fan of me and the way I do things. You don't like my son. But you know what? There's going to be good food there. There's going to be good food there. He's trying any way he knows to convict them of their need to be at that table or be crushed and turned aside to darkness. Oh, no, I don't want that to happen to you. And so he puts up with 2,000 years or really 6,000 years from the beginning of people who snubbed the invitation to come to him. Oh, my goodness. When he's cursed, he, he blesses. He answers politely when he's slandered this king. Oh, my goodness. He's long-suffering. Did I already say it? So it means long-fused. And so this is why <clears throat> the son says of the father, the king, that he is kind even to the wicked and ungrateful. That's Luke chapter 6. So Yahweh, King Yahweh, is kind to the wicked and the ungrateful. That's why he sends more servants in the face of a snub. No, we don't want to come. Well, let's try to convince you otherwise. I love uh, what it says. The king has made everything ready. That's it. Listen, this is gospel. God's done everything. What can I bring? <laughs> Nothing in your hands you should bring simply to the cross you should claim. You bring nothing. Bring your big appetite because heaven's a place of second helpings and laughter and full bellies. That's what you bring. You bring a big need to be loved on. And I will provide everything else. You bring nothing. Even the clothes and the bath before the clothes, because you don't climb into <laughs> to wonderful royal clothing and raiment without a clean body. So he says, we take care of that for you. The king will take care of that. Because everybody at the table is a former dirty rebel. Everyone. Everyone at the table, no exception. They've all been cleansed and clothed. And that's the only thing required. You want to come in, sit down at the table, you need to be clean, and you need to be clothed. But don't worry. Oh, it won't take you anything. No, it won't, cost, it won't cost you anything. I'll pay for all of that too. All you do is put your, your, your trust in my son, and you will be whiter than snow. He's made everything ready. I really hear him saying, listen, you, uh, you're really going to like it there. Trust me. You're going to like it. It's a nice place. And so, yeah. But nothing, that, nothing he says is going to change their mind. And things ramp up. Take a look at verse 5 there. Uh, they pay no attention. That is passive aggressiveness at its finest. This is when somebody hates you so much, they, they, they kill you with silence. They don't pull the trigger. They don't kill you with a gun. They kill you emotionally by writing you off the face of the earth. They will not dignify your presence by a response to an email, by attending something that's important to them. No, they won't even mention you. And when someone would, would, would mention the king or his goodness to a person like that, they'll smile and they'll change the subject. 
because I will not even honor the person with a word of, that recognizes their existence. And that's what the rebels who are alive and well today, who are <laughs> rebelling against the king today, that's exactly what they do. They don't manifest it outwardly. In fact, they may say, wouldn't I ever say anything? I don't do anything. Oh, exactly. Right? You knew he was there. You knew you didn't get here by yourself, but you refuse to say a word because you're dead to me. That's aggressiveness. And going on uh, today. Yeah. So, yeah, they'll thank anybody else. Oh, the king was kind to you, sir. Uh, look at all the blessings you're enjoying under his sovereign reign. Oh, no, thank this, thank that. Thank goodness I'm a Sagittarius instead of a Taurus. You know, thank goodness to everything except the king that's always forcing himself and his ways upon me, irritating me to no end. And no, thank you, I will not mention his name. Now, the rest... The rest manifest with violence. So the ones who are passive, they just snub the invite. But Jesus says the rest of them, they go to work because the way they express their uh, disdain is through guns, knives, pipe bombs, and Molotov cocktails. Notice verse 6. So they seize the servants, they rough them up, they abuse them, they beat them, and kill them. Wow, not enough just to say, no thanks, don't want to come. No, we have to burn the church down or martyr the believer, hang them in the public squares. They still do today in many Muslim countries. They just You blaspheme their prophet, you hang. It happens even today. And so, so Jesus is probably thinking of three servants that got sent to their forefathers, the same guys who are related to these men. And so maybe he's thinking of Isaiah. And here's what Isaiah did. He announced the invitation. Isaiah said, come, all who are thirsty, come to the waters and you will have no money. Come, buy and eat, says the king. Come, without money, without cost. Why spend your money on what's not bread? and your labor on what does not satisfy. Listen to me and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest affair, says the king. And they took him, they seized him, and King Manasseh had him sawn in two. That's your Isaiah. Sawed in two pieces. Why? Because he heralded the king's message, come. And drink and eat of the richest of fare. They also took a hold of a servant named Jeremiah. Jeremiah announced this. Hey, everybody, I'm speaking for the king. He says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the king. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. So the rebel citizens, and they don't want no plan, no matter how good it sounds. So they stoned Jeremiah. To death. Number three, Zechariah. Zechariah proclaimed this on behalf of the king. Rejoice greatly, O daughters of Jerusalem. Behold, your king comes to you. He is righteous and he brings salvation. He is gentle and humble and he rides a donkey, 
upon the foal of a donkey, he comes to you. Well, the ingrates killed Zechariah and killed the one who came in the prophecy on the donkey 600 years later in the same place they're standing. They killed Zechariah right there in the temple courts. So that's what he's saying. This is what these rebels do. And these rebels are the fathers and the brothers. These are the sons. And they prove that they're the sons because they want to act in the same exact way. So yeah, the king was enraged and the whole palace guard with him. Verse 7 Uh, The rebels without a cause, Jesus said this at the Last Supper, they hated me without a cause. And this is the whole parable. It's like, why? Where's the reasonableness here? A good king, kind, who blesses you, invites you to a big party, and you say, not only do you say no, but you're, 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 you're violently opposed and become aggressive. It makes no sense. And that's why Jesus said, at the Last Supper, they hate me without a cause. Quoting the Psalms there. So yeah, so he's going to uh, bring his wrath down in full force. Verse 7. And this parable is prophetic, isn't it? Because in 40 years from the moment this, these words come out of his mouth, in 40 years, the king will send the Roman armies in to destroy Jerusalem where those men if they're still there <laughs> will perish and every stone upon one another there at the temple will be torn down the place will be burned to the ground now that will be fulfilled it, AD 70 it came to pass and Judaism as, as it were stopped no more Judaism for 2000 years AD 70 was the last time they offered something on the altar. And let me tell you this. The story goes on to say, go out into the world now. So Israel, my kingdom, my special people, my realm, my reign, that's done right now. Now take the invitation to the entire world, which was always his uh, plan. Now, after 2,000 years of the age of grace, of 2,000 years of snubbing, 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 killing, 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 he will appear. And the same outcome, he will destroy the murderers, the disobedient, the ungodly, and he will bring an end to human history as we know it. And guess where the church will be? The church is the son's bride. The bride will be called up to the wedding while the judgment falls. While this judgment falls on the earth, it's called the apocalypse, the great tribulation. During this time on earth, when all hell is breaking loose, the earth doesn't even function right anymore. We, the bride, will be honoring the son, the groom, of the church at the wedding supper of the Lamb. This is an amazing thing. Safe and secure, out of harm's way, because we are not appointed to suffer wrath, 
but to receive salvation, as the Bible says. And so this is a wonderful thought here. Let's get moving here. 8 through 10 is super easy. He says to the service, now I want you to go to the byways or the highways. And, and here's the reason why that he can say, I don't care who they are or what they've done. They can sit at the king's table. They can come to heaven. Doesn't matter, good or bad. And so what does he mean by good and bad? He means those, the good are people we know who are sinners, but they control their sin rather well. They're civilized. They're blessed with a disposition that's milder, and uh, they're, they're just nice people, the good. But they're bad in the sense they're stained with sin. We know that. The other crowd is the bad is those who don't try to control their sinful nature. They embrace it, and they don't care about it. So they rob banks, and they'll stab you if you look at them wrong, uh, you know, and they'll take what doesn't belong to them. They, they're, they're bad. So how do they get invited. It just seems like the nice guys invite all the nice guys, but leave the bad guys out. No, he says. Because, next slide, there's this garment. There's this garment that I provide everybody. No one gets in without it. It's a robe of righteousness purchased by my son. And anybody, as I've been saying, who honors him receives the robe as you enter in and your dirt, your bad, is covered over. So there's repentance, there's change, there's a new life, and it's represented outwardly by atonement, which is covering by the robes Jesus provided by dying for you and dying as you. So that as he lays down on the cross, all of our sins go on him, and his sinless perfection goes on those who trust him in this life. So he will say, friend, not good friend. He's saying, pal, hey, buddy, what are you doing in here? Now, no one sneaks into heaven. Come on. Nobody sneaks into heaven and that gets kicked out. That's not the meaning. The meaning is this. How dare you appear after you die and you're raised for judgment, you're on, in the pavilion of the Most High God, how is it that you show up for the party dressed in your stained T-shirt and your dirty jeans, having snubbed the robe that covers you provided at the gate, uh, the only prerequisite to enter? How is it? How could you do such a thing? That's the question. How, how did you, why would you appear? Why would you come after a lifetime of, of conscience telling you, don't die without a savior? How could you step into the elevator after you die, go with the analogy here, and, and, and be raised up, the doors open, and everyone you see when you step out to heaven's pavilion are, are just clothed in shimmering gold, and there's pure light everywhere, and you and your smelly clothes. Our good deeds is but filthy rags, Isaiah 64 and verse 6, and the word for filthy is linked to sewerage. So somebody who's not covered, but only says, hey, I was a pretty basically good person, I hope that's enough, steps out of the elevator, surrounded by all of that 
moral purity, and the whole place gasps. Oh, oh my goodness. How could you think of coming here without a covering, the covering that you knew full well was waiting for you and purchased by the life and blood and sweat and agony of the king's only son. How could you bind him? And that's exactly the, the scene is the great white throne where all of those who for, went, forego, they, they forego the robe. They want to, they are standing there clothed in defiled raiment. And now the books are open, they're judged, and they are literally, just like the word Jesus used, they're tossed out. No different. And here's the sting. They're no different than any of us at the table on the inside. The only difference is we had a change of heart and we slipped on the robe that he provided and we got raised to new life. That's the only difference. And that's the sting. That's the sting. And they probably go off screaming, they're just as bad as we are. No, sir, we were worse than you. We were even worse, some of us. But we were washed, we were cleansed, we were justified because we heard the gospel, we heard the invitation. And that's why Jesus said, many are called. The world's called. Anyone's called. Everyone's called. The conscience calls. Creation calls. The word of God calls. Everybody's called. But comparatively speaking, compared to all who are called, there's only a small response to say yes. And all that word means is it's not enough to be called and hold the invitation. There's human responsibility. And human responsibility and God's sovereignty. You're there at the feast because you chose to accept the invitation. You're there at the feast because you were chosen to accept the invitation. We'll understand that better when we're there. But two things. So what if I'm not chosen? Trust Jesus. And guess what? You'll be chosen. It's that easy, my friend. Let's pray. Father God, we look to you now. This wonderful invitation. God, we just love to hear more ways to understand it, your goodness, your kindness, your benevolence. And yeah, we have that part of us that resists you, even though we're citizens now and reconciled to you. We still are prone to wander, Lord. We feel it, prone to leave the God we love. May your spirit fill us, keep us strong in the straight and narrow path. And two, that trumpet blows and we find ourselves in the pavilion of the Most High God, surrounded by beautiful splendor and glory and because of your good grace well dressed well well prepared in Christ's name we pray
You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.